So now we have the username, we have what activity they did, we have how long it took them, and we had the distance. Yeah, so, that's a lot of data, actually, all of a sudden. Yeah, so, at, at the, so this is 2008, uh, no, 2010, when, when we started the data collection. And Twitter back then was only 140 characters. Right. So, you know, from 140 characters, I'm building this this persona, this, this profile of 256,000 people, which became... There, there's, there's more data in there that I knew what to do with. Welcome to Level Up Radio, presented by Coach Now. I'm Spencer Dennis, and on today's show, we feature Ted Vicky. Ted's a respected thought leader in the fitness industry and one of the first in the world to have a PhD in Twitter, physical activity, and mobile phones. Ted's previous work includes creating and implementing health and fitness initiatives for the government, including the White House. He was there, I think, for three presidential terms. He also worked with corporate wellness programs with Fortune 500 brands, including Fruit of the Loom. And today, Ted works with Point Loma University down in San Diego, where he works with other fitness professionals to help them learn essentially the art and science of entrepreneurship. So these are fitness professionals that are going through all the traditional classes, and then Ted helps them pick up the other side on how they're going to actually transfer what they know into the business of training and coaching. So Ted couldn't be any better, honestly, to have on Level Up Radio here today. During this conversation, as you can imagine, we dive into his background, how the heck do you get a PhD in Twitter, and everything that he's doing on a day-to-day basis to help other fitness professionals, not only in the classroom, but those that are more well-established as well. So I know I learned a ton during this conversation, and we're definitely going to have to do another one because as you hear throughout, there's just a heck of a lot more that Ted and I want to dive into. Uh, But for now, really hope that you enjoy our conversation, and uh, let's get into it. So Ted, thank you so much for joining us here on Level Up Radio, man. Hey, I appreciate the opportunity to be here, Spencer. For sure, for sure. So I think the the best way to start usually for us is to just kind of dig into what you're doing on a daily basis, and then we'll kind of work backwards on how you got there. Sure. Um, But maybe just walk us through what your day-to-day looks like. My day-to-day changes from day-to-day. And what what I love about that is that I, I don't, I don't have to face the same sort of challenges on a daily basis, but they're more of different opportunities. I'll give an example. Right now, I am a professor of sport management here in San Diego. Uh, in addition to that, I also do consulting with wearables, app technology companies, that sort of, uh, of thing. In fact, I, I just got an email this morning. I'm going to um, go out to a Native American Reservation, and I'm going to be do, doing some work with them on technology for their fitness center. So, oh, cool. really, my my day surrounds technology, fitness, physical activity, uh, smartphones, uh, all the things that you and I geek out over whenever yeah. we get together. Yeah, for sure. So, and then, so you're this consultant side of life, but then you've got your day to day with the university, right? Um, right. Can right. you can you talk a little bit about what your role is there and what uh, you know, what, what kind of things are you teaching? What's your passion? What do you get stoked on when you're doing it? Sure. I teach at Point Loma University. It's on the coast of San Diego here. Uh, beautiful campus. If you ever have an opportunity to come visit, please do. I'll show you around. Yeah. The, I, I teach in the kinesiology department in the master's program. So we have, this is our fifth cohort 
and every year we get about 50 students that get to pick between one of four different concentrations, integrative wellness, exercise science, sports performance, and sport management. I tend to teach in the sport management department where I, I teach the business of fitness. I teach future fitness and wellness entrepreneurs how to start their company, how to create a one-page business plan, how to create a branding presence online. I do a lot of, of uh, work uh, that I did with my master's and my PhD research, Twitter and, and Facebook, and, and how to leverage the scientific knowledge that they have and convert that into a business. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I, I've said this, and I mean no disrespect to any of our our listeners are personal trainers, but personal trainers are great at the science of exercise, but they suck at business and it's not their fault. Yeah. I hear you. We've never been taught. And my goal now is to get out there and to teach these, these budding entrepreneurs how to do that. So I teach a class on leadership. I teach a class on wellness entrepreneurship. I teach a class on disruptive health technology. So how can a, trainer or a coach take what is currently available on their iPhone and use that technology to help their clients along their path to greater health or fitness. Um, I also do a lot of advising for the students and and oversee a lot of the capstone projects, which are um, the projects that one must complete at the end of a master's program. The beauty of what I do now is the majority of these classes are online. So Ah, got it. Spencer, you and I can be at uh, Torrey Pines or, or any of our favorite courses, and yeah. technically I could uh, I could teach, using my air quotes, um, from there. So it gives me a lot of flexibility, it gives me a lot of opportunity to be able to, to continue to travel, to continue to meet with with leaders in this space, and, and, and still be able to teach the students. That's awesome. I mean, it's yeah, pretty much spot on to why I wanted to have this conversation with you, right? Because we... We feel the same way. Uh, you can expand beyond personal trainers and just blanketly say that anybody that is in, and I'll do air quotes too, in the business of coaching um, yep. doesn't necessarily understand how to run the business of coaching, right? They're usually great technicians, right? Uh, great at the science aspect of it, um, but very rarely do you get someone that can do all of that and run the business. And not to say that that person actually needs to do that, but they need to at least find other people that can help them do it. Uh, exactly. Right. It, it, it is. Well, let, let's take you and I, for example, when, when we first became these budding entrepreneurs, um, yeah. at least for me, I knew I thought I could do it all. And it wasn't until I realized that I did need the help that that business really started to take off. Now, I love technology because it allows Well, technology is a tool, really. And it's just like a dumbbell. It's just like uh, a swing lab. It is a tool that a person, a coach can use in their overall course of business. It's Mm -hmm. not the be-all, end-all. It's not going to be this magic bullet where if you start using technology, you're going to get thousands of of clients or customers. Um, I see it as a tool. And my job is to go out and to find these different tools that coaches can use. Yep. And how... Walk me through, I want to talk about your background in total here in a moment, but walk me through how you got involved with the university uh, from the teaching kind of entrepreneurship. What was your pitch, I guess, or did they pitch you? How did you get involved? 
it was an opportunity that presented itself to me uh, here in San Diego when I moved back to the States from Ireland. I had always thought at some point that I would want to become a professor. And uh, Point Loma was creating a master's program on kinesiology. They were looking for, at the time, adjunct professors. And I, uh, I met with the department head, uh, gave them my, my resume, and, and uh, they said, we'd love to have you. So it was – I don't want to make it sound like it was that easy, but yeah. it, it was an opportunity that, that, that was I, – I, I think the, uh, the people above that, that keep an eye on you and I, uh, uh, our guardian angels, made this happen. And I'm so, so thankful and so happy that it did happen because – now I get to help give back to an industry that took care of me, and, and I'm helping by by showing these students how to have the courage, how to get out there and to do entrepreneurism. I don't have all the answers, and right. I tell my students that up off the top. You know, if you look at the word entrepreneurism, it really means risk taker. So I, I'm helping them become risk takers, and you know, I tell them I want them to fail in my class before they fail in front of a a, a pitch or in front of something a board meeting. So it, it, I'm not your typical professor. I, I don't wear a tweed with, uh, <laughs> you know, elbow pads. Sure. I, I, I try to, to look at my classes more of a, of a company. So they are my vice presidents of whatever department I happen to be the CEO at the time. And, and that's how I, I try to teach my classes and it gives them a more of a real world feeling. Uh, and I also bring in real examples of, of what I experienced w when I was growing my company. And I think they really they really enjoy that and they really uh, uh, see a benefit by doing that. So let's let's work our way back then. Let's talk about your company. Let's talk about your background. So maybe, um, you know, you can dive into the specific areas that you think might be of interest to everyone. But I definitely would love to know kind of the what got you interested in the world of fitness and then how did you take that? create a business and then we'll that'll obviously get us up to where we've been talking about sure i was a high school college athlete like many people that that get into this space uh, I, I attended penn state on the east coast uh swam and played water polo in high school I ended up playing water polo at penn state which sounds kind of funny water polo is more of a west coast sport but yes we did play it in pennsylvania right on and um it was a literal lucky break. I was studying political science my freshman year at the end of the water polo season. I went home in my backyard playing football with my brothers and, and, and some friends, and I snapped my ankle and uh, went to the hospital, stayed there for a week, six screws, a pin, and a plate, and I went to physical therapy. And I'm, I'm there doing my physical therapy as a freshman in college and, and thought, wow, this is great. They, they don't have to wear ties to work. <laughs> they listen to music all day and they get to help others. And I was pretty excited about that. I went back to Penn State and they didn't have physical therapy. So I switched to exercise science. And uh, as many students can attest to this, when you find your passion, it's not, it's not that hard. It, studying exercise science became so much more exciting than studying uh, the political science aspect of it. But... I did have that love of political science, and I ended up getting an internship at the White House in their athletic center in 1991 under George Bush Sr. So here I am, a middle-class kid from the shores of Lake Erie, heading off to D.C. 
for a three-month internship. Uh, I, I did that. I had such a, a wonderful experience there. They, they tried to keep me. They didn't have a position, so I went off and worked for a, a consulting company. And I was placed at HUD, Housing and Urban Development. They had a fitness center. Uh, now, now you got to think about this, Spencer. This is back in the early 90s. Yeah. Corporate, corporate fitness was, was rather new. And to find a company that was out there doing this sort of thing was was extremely um, opportunistic. And okay. I um, I was the tactician. I was in the fitness center doing things that personal trainers and fitness instructors do. And my company that I was working for purchased a software company that I had actually studied in my senior year at Penn State. So they promoted me, and I went from entry level. I went out to the corporate offices, and I'm going to date myself here, Spencer. I helped them convert from DOS to Windows 3.1. Hey, that's right. Yep. And and that I I continued to grow in the 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 technology space. My mom was one of the first uh, women at IBM. Oh wow! So I had grown up around computers and technology, and, and had a love for it. And in 1994, my old boss from the White House called. She said, I've met the man of my dreams. I'm moving to Detroit. Do you want to buy my company? There I was in my suit and tie that I never thought I would wear. And here's this great opportunity that I thought I could tell my grandkids about. Um, I was probably making $25,000 at the year thinking that I'm on you know, this, this fantastic plan of growth. And I, I took a leap of faith, and I said, sure, I'll do it. So I went back, and I became her assistant for a year in the 95. Actually uh, bought the company, and, and so here I am, 25 years old, the director of the White House Athletic Center under the the uh, Clinton administration. Can we, can we pause there just for a moment? I, I'm curious on – because when somebody hears I, made, I was making $25,000 a year, and then I bought a company. Uh, right. Those numbers usually don't match. So can you walk us through how that happened? Because there's a lot of different ways to buy a company. Sure. Um, and I don't know if everybody understands maybe the, the different mechanisms. So I'm just kind of curious what you did. Sure. Absolutely. The um, I, I was I was pretty blessed in that I had had a great relationship with with my predecessor and the White House wanted consistency and I provided that so uh, and my, my my mother when I have five siblings so there's six of us uh, she didn't work when when we were all kids so my dad the high school history teacher was the sole breadwinner so I knew I couldn't go ask my parents for money they right. they, they were you know having other uh, financial things that they had to, to worry about um, so I made the deal with my predecessor, the person I was buying the company from, that I would pay her uh, X thousand dollars per month over the next five years. Got it. So, yep. so, so instead of having to find you know a, a big lump of cash or take a I loan need, or something like that, right? You just right. kind of structured it. If if we're doing well, then I'll be able to pay you X. Ex- yeah. Exactly. And cool. and you know I, I think that part of that is the the personal side of business, right? Mm-hmm. If 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 I didn't have that personal side, if I hadn't built and spent time building that relationship, that probably wouldn't have happened. I did need $11,000 as a down payment. And I'm thinking, okay, um, 
I'm going to take a loan out. I'm going to go to the Small Business Administration. I'm going to learn everything I can about it. Remember, I'm a scientist. I have no clue on, on how to be an entrepreneur or a business owner. And I happened to call a professor of mine at Penn State just to tell him what was going on. He said to me, I knew that you were the one that was going to make it. I just wrote, <laughs> I just wrote you a check for $11,000. Pay me back when you can. Oh, wow, man. So, you know, all, all the things started to line up. And it yeah. was, you know, taking on that angel investor. And ain't, truly, he was an angel. Yeah, it really sounds like it. Uh, you know, to, to, to be able to provide that for me. And I'm so thankful. And, and what the message that I try to tell my students is, you know, if you get out there and you look for these opportunities, you'd be surprised how, how things are put in our path that, that are supposed to happen. Uh, I, I didn't call him for, to ask for the loan. I called him just to share the news because uh, he and I would, had always talked about uh, uh, the business of fitness. And, and uh, I like to tell my students that uh, I do the same, but I don't write checks for $11,000. Yeah, right. I get too many people asking. So, uh, you know, Spencer, there I am, 25 years old, uh, running the fitness center at the White House. My, my, my college friends, I can remember on the weekends, were worried about where they're going out to have a good time. I'm worried about paying my employee taxes, taking care of my, my staff insurance. And I kind of grew up rather quick from 25 to 40, but I wouldn't have changed it for the world. Yeah. Um, you know, to be there... I, I was there for 11 years, so I, I spanned over, if you include my internship, three different presidential administrations. I, I get, I got to see the uh, the inner workings of what it is that our government can or can't do. Um, I was at the White House on 9/11. Uh, I remember, I remember what it was like uh, to 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 feel that. And it real that was one of the first things that kind of started my, my move out of corporate America and into more entrepreneurship, back to my entrepreneurship roots and to teaching. So uh, for the first five years I was at the White House, I did nothing else because I knew that every other fitness consultant wanted my client. So I took care of the White House. They were my guinea pig, right? Yeah. Um, I'm a big systems guy. And I happened to be Eating a Big Mac. I know, fitness guy eating a Big Mac. I did it. Um, it's okay and I if thought, you have a salad after. It's fine. Whatever. Sure, of course. <laughs> extra lettuce. But but I thought, you know, here I am in D.C. eating a Big Mac. But if I go to L.A. and eat a Big Mac, they taste exactly the same. But the same person's not doing it. Right. So I decided to really invest and really look into these systems. I mean, for those that worked at McDonald's, and what I learned was there's an actual process. Even oh, you know the, yeah. the order in which you put the ingredients. And, and I thought, well, why can't I do that for fitness? So I did. And the White House was my guinea pig. And I thought if it could work at the White House, I could work anywhere. And it turned out to be the case. So my second client was Fruit of the Loom. My third was Sylvania, the light bulb company. My fourth was the Security Exchange Commission. And I kept growing and growing. Wow. Uh, and then had an opportunity in 2001 to join forces with an occupational medicine company. Um, they they offered to purchase my company. And, of course, as the entrepreneur, I said, no, I can do this myself. Sure. Uh, the CEO of the, of the um, um, health company suggested I sleep on it, which was the best advice I ever had because I came back the next day and said, you know, um, uh, this this is what I want to do. So I did that and, and went off and, and 
my company became a subsidiary. So I got to really, you know, again, remember, I'm a scientist, but that became my real world MBA, you know, being in boardrooms, yep. being, negotiating contracts that were <laughs> had more zeros on the end of them than I ever thought I could even comprehend. Yeah. Um, and then I did that until 2005. And, um, you know, the, the, the story there is that uh, my, my mother had had cancer and uh, went in to see her um, one last time. And she said, I'm so proud of what you've done in your life, but you work too hard. And that resonated with me. And, you know, as you know, being an entrepreneur has its peaks and valleys. Sure, yeah. Uh, one of the valleys is that you never take a vacation, or you, you should, but you never do. Yeah. I was on call 24-7 at the White House, so uh, I didn't take a vacation. Um, I had been married, and, and I'm not naive enough to say that, that the White House was, was part of the reason why I, I got the divorce, because I was spending a lot more time there than I probably should have. Yeah. Um, so I, I, on the way home from mom's funeral from Pennsylvania, D.C., I said, she's right. So I went into the chairman. I said, I'm done. He's like, what do you mean you're done? You've got the country club membership, you know, the million-dollar house, the, the fancy car, uh, the salary that you never thought you have. I said, but my, my heart's not in it. So um, I sold everything in, in, in mom's honor. I moved to Ireland where I got my master's in international business and entrepreneurship. And uh, the Irish government then approached me and asked if I'd be interested in a PhD. And I said, uh, sure, if I can pick what I want to do. And they said, absolutely. So I studied physical activity, mobile phones, and Twitter. And wow. could actually, at the end of my, my research, can predict a person's fitness level based on their tweets. <laughs> okay, we're going to have to talk about that a little bit more in just a second. Yep. Uh, but one of the things I think if I'm – if I'm listening to this, which I am, but obviously if I am an actual listener of this podcast, I'm thinking I want a little bit more of the day-to-day -day at the White House from of just because nobody has any frame of reference for what that is, uh, except for you. So when we're talking about fitness in that environment and the evolution of your system, can you walk us through a day over there and, and what that system might look like and who you're actually interacting with? Uh, sure. How many people maybe work for you? Because I'm sure you weren't doing it alone at that point. No, no, I wasn't doing it alone. And and the White House, the unofficial number at the time was there were about 1,500 employees. And now that that consists of the White House itself. On the east side of the White House is the old executive office building. It's this big Victorian-looking. Uh, building. It used to be the, the Department of War before the Pentagon was built. And then across the street, there's a building called the New Executive Office Building. So about 1,500 people. And we had about 500 members, paying okay. members. So there was no taxpayer money that went into the facility. Ah, uh, okay. You know, I guess I would have assumed, yeah, it's just free for if you work there. But yeah, that makes sense. Okay. But you know, you, you mentioned that, Spencer. And what, what I found in my consulting was that it's better to charge even a minimal five dollar a month totally. because yeah, you get compliance, absolutely, get compliance and you get buy-in. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I would I would strongly advise any of my clients to charge something. But yeah. but the White House staff they paid uh, what was it a uh, dollar a day? It was three hundred sixty-five dollars. I remember that. Yeah, uh, and uh, that's that was the money that that the White House used to pay me, and then I paid my staff. So yeah. um, depending on 
when, when I first started off, I had one assistant, but we really relied on the interns that came in, kind of like what I did. So probably in my 11 years at the White House, I think the last I looked, we had over 130 interns over those 11 years. Wow. And you know, I saw it as an opportunity for them to to use it as a as a starting stone, as a as a jumping stone to something big in the in the industry. So it was really competitive, and and we got some really dynamic people from all over the world. Yeah. We even got someone from uh, outside the U.S., which I have no idea how they passed the background screening, but they did. Yeah, sure. Um, so if you think about a, a corporate fitness, well, a fitness center. You put into a corporation, right? So what you what the first thing you do is your membership is limited because you can only have the number you have a percentage of whatever the total number of people is. So mine happened to be fifteen hundred. Not everyone's going to join. We had five hundred, which at the time was was pretty good if you look at the percentage of members of the possibility. Yeah, sure, yeah. And so think of taking a fitness center and dropping it in the middle of the White House, and that's what it was. It yeah. was. The, the, the original facility was built under the Reagan administration. It had about 3,500 square feet, which equated to a full line of Cybex equipment, a group exercise space, uh, four Stairmasters, three treadmills, two upright bikes, two recumbent bikes, and dumbbells. We would see about 75 to 90 people a day. We were open from 6.30 in the morning until 8 o'clock at night. Which meant, if you if you do the math, that one person opens the facility there at six thirty until two thirty. The other person comes in at eleven, works eleven to uh, eight. Mm-hmm. So that's what we did. So I, as as a from the fitness perspective, I was on the floor. I was making sure people were doing the proper exercises. I was onboarding new members. Uh, I I actually taught group exercise class for about a month. And then learned it was better for me to hire people, not to teach it. Um, so yeah. I, I did that. Yep. So any, really anything about health and fitness for the president and the staff we were involved with. And that that goes all the way down to I think what you said, uh, nutrition and all that, right? So. Well, we, we were real careful with the scope of practice when it comes to nutrition. We would bring in experts to talk about nutrition. We okay. would we we actually. Uh, created an opportunity where we brought in a personal chef who would do seminars and then uh, the members cool. had the members had an opportunity then to hire the personal chef and i don't want people to think well you know these are all these the the, the high level white house staffers well we did have them but we also had the white house florist we had the gardener we had mm-hmm. you know the the janitor uh so it it was a wide range of people that you might see on TV down to the people that were, you know, cleaning the floors. Yeah. So it was, it was a good mix of people. And, and I really enjoyed that part of it because we weren't, we, we had to learn how to provide fitness and wellness for everybody, not just, you know, the, 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 uh, the political appointments. Yeah. And I, th- I, I envision that environment that you created, right. And the types of people that are there, they might not cross paths at any other point other than that gym. Right. Because the gardener's not going to be hanging out you know, necessarily with other people in the political office. So I think that could be like a, a kind of a nice environment for everybody to get that opportunity to mix and mingle maybe a tiny bit. I, I remember walking – and someone at the time said, well, what's it like? And I said, when you walk into our facility – we call it the WAC, the White House Athletic Center. When you walk okay. into the WAC, you can feel the difference. Yeah. And you really could because um, I probably – we probably lost a lot of money – because we 
didn't do traditional personal training on a paid model. Mm-hmm. Every member that came in had personal training for free. And we we wanted to make sure – I mean, these are people that are making decisions that affect all of us on a daily basis. Yeah. I was there to make sure that they were – they were happy that they were taken care of. That that you know, it's a very stressful place to work too, right? So we were the stress reduction center at some points. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember walking in one day, and uh, the vice president's wife was exercising next to a secret service agent who was next to uh, the White House florist on three stairmasters. And I thought, if I could take a picture, this would be one that I would I would frame and keep forever because it yeah. was. Like you said, it, people were, were interacting and they were mingling that they probably wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's why so many companies now have these central places where people even have to walk through, right? So that you get you actually know who all is working at that company versus just being a bunch of uh, numbers, so to speak, right? Not having a good yeah. sense of who you're working with. So um, let's – I'm going to bounce around a little bit because there's two things I, I find really fascinating. So one – uh, I want to keep the Twitter uh, <laughs> information. Uh, just I want to remember that we're going to talk about that. But I, right, I, I do want to talk about uh, corporate wellness, right? Because yep. a lot of people that are listening to this are more of the solopreneur, somebody that's working for themselves or in a very small kind of boutique environment like an academy or a smaller gym. Um, we do have a couple groups uh, that I'm familiar with using Coach now in a more of a corporate environment. Um, but I would be lying if I said I knew like all the ins and outs of that. So maybe you could give us uh, your perspective on maybe how it, w- how it evolved and maybe the current your current perspective on corporate wellness because of these big box gyms and these other offerings. I know, I know the world of fitness is changing a lot, so I'm just very curious your perspective and maybe how it even became a thing. Sure. Uh, I wish that I had the technology that, that you have and that we have available today back then mm-hmm. because I was limited. So when when a corporation would come and say, we want to build a, a, a corporate fitness center, they really need to have about 500 members or 500 employees at that location. So I am eliminating 70% of my potential clients just from that, right? Because we know that, that if you look at the employment numbers while – you know the, the the automakers and and these big corporations are so big. If you look at it from a from a national scale, it's the small businesses, the ones with a hundred people, that really uh, make up the majority of the workforce. Yeah, for so, sure. Yep. So we didn't we did we were one of the first companies went to use online technologies. We had a, a hardwire up to Sylvania. So I could I could monitor who checked in, who who was using the facility, mm. what sort of what sort of um, uh, medical issues they may have had. So we, we could use the numbers and kind of create the the monthly topics of what we would we would uh, educate them on. And um, now. Oh, well, the, the other thing is that if you look at it now, there's, there's much more of a diverse workforce in that they're virtual, right? So sure. yeah. the White House, they're not virtual because there's, you, know, you can't do that. Sylvania probably can't do that. But there are a lot of corporations now that have people like you and I working from you know, a WeWork or working from uh, their home office. And 
it was a challenge then to be able to provide wellness and health and fitness to those people. So let's fast forward to today. So I am 100% sure and know that it happens that you could have a corporation open an online fitness center. They may have a fitness center at the corporate headquarters, Mm -hmm. but they now have the opportunity to reach all of the other workforce that are virtual across the world. Yeah. And I, I think that's exciting because you're using technology like you have yeah. where you are prescribing exercise. Well, let, let's back up a second. Why do corporations want to have an on-site fitness center or a wellness program? Well, there's a couple of reasons. One is over time, they will be able to decrease their healthcare costs. Mm-hmm. Now, you and I both know that, okay, if you exercise, yes, your blood pressure is going to go down, but it's going to take you probably two years to get that or maybe even a year. Yeah, it's a long time. And a corporation is sitting there saying, well, that's great. I'm going to invest in a fitness center, but by the time the benefits roll around, the employee is probably going to be gone. So there had to be a mind change, a mind shift of these corporations, and, and they've done that, and they realize that it's important to do that now. The other reason that a lot of people don't think about is for recruiting purposes, for retention purposes. That's where my mind went immediately, right? Yeah. So So if I tell you that uh, Callaway has a state-of-the-art fitness center, do you think that any golf professional would want to work at Callaway or go work for TaylorMade who may or may not have a fitness center? And I don't know if they do so yeah. a lot of companies would invest in that. I, you know, Apple has a fitness center. Well, then IBM has one or Microsoft has one. So there are a number of different reasons why a corporation would do it. Now it really gets to the point of, of um, I think it's shifted. It's more of um, uh, employee uh, satisfaction to make sure that the employee is taken care of, to, to be a benefit to the employees, which really kind of shifts, if you think about it, um, the way in which you may or may not uh, provide the the activities, provide the programming. If you're looking at it purely from a health perspective, um, you're probably going to be a little bit more medical. You're going to be a little bit more uh, scientific in the approach. But when you look at it from a, a fun, from a recruitment opportunity, you can you can really allow yourself to to find some fun ways to to engage in activity. Yeah, and I, I think for us as an example, as a company, right, we, we have Coach Now and then we have another product called Golf Shot, and we're always looking for ways to keep everybody moving in the right. office, right, because we're a technology company, so most everybody's sitting down, cranking away on the keys. Um, so the last time I was at our corporate office in Arizona, I'm like, guys, please get your dumbbell, please get your kettlebells, please get your bands, please get your TRX attached to the door. You know, anything that's going to encourage you to move, set a timer on your computer, anything. So right now we just switched offices, so we don't have a traditional you know wellness program per se. Uh, the other court offices that we had, we were part of a larger building, and they offered yoga and a few other things, which was really cool. Right. Um, so I know we're going to be looking towards doing that again. Um, but for me, yeah, I think if you can just get people moving and, and inspire them to move, I mean that's that's a fantastic start. Now there's obviously the more functional movement, quality of movement side of things that you can really go into. But that's, if people aren't moving just in general, you're never going to get them to do that anyway. Right. 
Right. And, and, and that's where these apps and wearables come in, right? Where, and, and, and the first thing when I, when I say that I study apps and wearables, they say, well, they aren't accurate. You know, my, my Fitbit and my Apple Watch are different. Sure. And I say to the person, okay, you have a, a weight scale at home, you have a weight scale at the gym, you have a weight scale at your doctor's office. Which one's right? And they usually say the one that, that they weigh the less on. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. my, you know, my point is we point. need to get away from worrying about the accuracy. Yeah. We're not we're not, you know, um, we're if not it's wrong yes. the same way every time. You're fine. Right. right? If, if it's five percent off, you're going to be five percent off over time. Yeah. Which is as long as you're measuring from the same area, you're fine because we have the same discussions internally around all of our customer metrics and our usage metrics. And it's like. Well, Google Analytics says this, Mixpanel says this, this other service says this, and none of them match, right? And we spin ourselves yep. around and eventually we go, okay, well, let's just land on one of them. Right. And that's the one we're going to pay attention to. Everything else, who cares? It's, you're right. It, it's not an absolute number. It's a relative. Mm-hmm. And although I will share a story with you, um, there was a time, it was under the Clinton administration, uh, I walked into the men's restroom where we had one of those scales, the doctor scales with the little lever, you know? Yeah. Um, I was in there and there was a, 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 a White House politician turning the screw that controlled the weight. I said, what are you doing? Oh, wow. He's, he said, I weigh too much, so I'm going to modify it. <laughs> and I said, how long have you been doing this? He said, about six months. So every man that went in and weighed themselves had an inaccurate number. So well, we feel really it, good about themselves. It sounds like if that's what uh, their point was, of course, but yeah. you know, so we had to change our system every month. We would validate every scale. We, we bring in oh, wow. 150 pounds worth of dumbbells, put yeah. it on there. To, and then we would, uh, we would modify it as needed. So yeah, only in Washington could you, you're that's not happy funny. with how much you weigh. You just change the measure. <laughs> Spencer here with a quick note. If you like what you hear, please be sure to subscribe. That way you don't miss out on any future episodes. And also we'd love to connect with you in different ways. So give us a follow on social media at Coach Now App. That way we can connect with you over there and uh, you can get further insight to a lot of coaching best practices uh, from not only us, but all the coaches and teachers and trainers that we work with. So with that, thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. So let's, when it, when it comes to the corporate wellness side of things, Technology, like you said, I think can play a big role in, in bridging the gap, especially for companies that's more – it's more and more the norm to have remote employees these days. Right. Um, so I think of something even as simple as like yoga works, right, If in the sense that you can have an online subscription and then if you live near one, you could go to that one. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm curious in the corporate side of things, some of them have gyms on site and then is it seemingly a habit just to give – employees a, a membership to something that they can go do is that something that you're seeing or i'm just kind of curious if that's if that's prevalent or not i'm finding that a lot of corporations want to be able to give the same sort of benefits across the board yeah so if there's an on-site fitness center in la and you have remote employees in chicago they're going to want to be able to offer the chicago people something of equivalent yeah now yeah. Like you were saying, the TRXs. I see companies that are buying these little, these little. They put these kits together, yeah. send them out to the employees, and say, "Okay, here's your, 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 your fitness benefit." Yeah. Um, because you can't come to LA to the gym every day, so they find ways to do it. Yeah. And there's a lot of technology out there now. 
there's a there's a uh, a company called ClassPass, right? Where ClassPass is cool. It's really blowing up, actually. Yeah. So corporations will buy the class passes and and say, okay, you're not here in LA, but there are gyms in Chicago you can use. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not gonna. I, I won't be surprised when Peloton hits the market and they're gonna be putting Pelotons in the lobbies of some of these corporations. Uh, uh, interesting. Giving giving a benefit, you know, say, okay, you want a Peloton? Um, we as a company get a benefit. We get a discount. You buy your Peloton, and 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 you know, you're working from home. Might as well exercise from home. Yeah. So. Technology allows all this to happen, and and I'm so excited to be part of the industry now because uh, there's so much opportunity. You, know, you were talking earlier about um, uh, online yoga classes. Well, yeah. if I were a practitioner today, I would approach one of these big uh, streaming companies like uh, Wexer, and I would buy a subscription for me as the corporation, uh, as a company, a fitness company, and then I would use that to resell back to my smaller uh, clients. Yeah, totally. You know, because they're not going to, that company's not going to go direct to Wexer, but if, if, if you as the fitness provider, the solution provider do it, it, it it's golden. Yeah. Yeah, they could do it the same, I'm sure they could do it with, with your service, right? Where, yeah, sure. We, we've had a number of people do it where they're buying, I don't know, I think it was fairly interesting, like England Golf, as an example, bought 100 plus licenses and started distributing them out to all the different people that they, that they represent, right? So the actually the the majority of our sales are are that it's uh, bulk sales to an academy or a body that then distributes them out, and they either offer it for free to their mm-hmm. subsidiaries or trainers, or they have them pay them something as a part of their membership fee. And Spencer, this is where in, in my entrepreneurship classes I really enjoy it because if you ask somebody, okay, we're going to do a corporate fitness center, the first thing they do is we're going to put a facility. On site, but then we start brainstorming and say, "Well, what if you were to do this? What if you use technology to do that? Uh, what can you run a fitness challenge through Fitbit? Yes, you can. Can you can you show a person how to do a proper uh, movement on TRX? Yes, you can. In fact, you can even record it yourself and upload it rather than using a, a stock video. Yeah. So the technology is changing." the marketplace there are so many opportunities if, if you are listening and you want to get involved in corporate fitness uh call me because there are a lot of ideas and of yeah. course we're gonna we're gonna use spencer's uh platform as as the base for everything that's yeah that's awesome man so let's let's dive into twitter uh yeah how long ago was this that you you went through and and studied it and let's so first off kind of give me that how accurate you found it to be, which you seemingly uh, found it to be accurate, and then does it still hold up? I'm super curious. The opportunity to get a PhD was was quite interesting, and I wanted to do something that was part of what I was passionate about. Um, My PhD is in engineering. Um, I I can't change the oil in my car, but I have a PhD in engineering, right? Uh, But it's also in informatics, and what I looked at was the big data. And I was one of the first to really look at the big data specific to the fitness and, and wellness space. Okay. So, um, you know, the, the process of getting a PhD is you you want to find you want to find an area in which you think that you can make something better. And you know, for for three months, I sat there every day trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I was using um, an app called Edamundo. I was living in Ireland at the time. Edamundo was a was an app that um, was kind of like Nike or MyFitnessPal, where you just track your exercise. So I, okay. I did a lot of walking in Ireland, and 
I'm looking at the setup and it says, do you want to connect your Twitter account? I'm like, that's pretty cool. So I did. So it started tweeting all my followers that I just walked five miles using Edamundo. Sure. And, I, and then I said, wow, that's fascinating because it would put a hashtag Edamundo at the end. So I, I went on Twitter and I started uh, looking at tweets and yep, wouldn't you know it, that was what they always put. So that then became my, my data feed, right? So I would just search Twitter for any at hashtag, or hashtag Edamundo. Then I looked at Nike. Then I looked at MyFitnessPal. Then I looked at RunKeeper. And then I looked at Daily Mile. So those were the five that I looked at. And they all had that hashtag. So I collected three million tweets over six months. I have this huge data set, right? If, if uh, for those that have ever gone off and done some, some research, you're happy when you get like 100 or 200 people. Yeah. I had 20, uh, 265,000 unique users and 3 million tweets. Uh, it was, <laughs> I broke Excel. I broke access. You know, How did you scrape all that? I mean, was that all by hand? No, it was, it was one of the things about a PhD is it's more of a collaborative effort in ah, that I, so I, I would come up with the idea. We'd sit at lunch and I had a friend, uh, a programmer, uh, Mao Jing from, from China. And I'd say, can we do this? He's like, yep, we could do that. So, you know, in an hour, he's got this, this, uh, scraping program. So, uh, at the time we had ability to have a Twitter firehose, which meant that every tweet that was ever sent out, we had access to. Yeah. So. If the tweet contained one of my hashtags, then it put it into a database. Yep. So that ran every day. Then what we did was because we knew who sent the tweet, we put the user in a user database. So that, that user database started to fill up. Then we were able to go into the Twitter profile and pull all that data in. So we knew where they were. We knew how long they've been on Twitter. We knew how many tweets they sent. So then we started being able to do relational numbers of, okay, um, we could guesstimate, did they set up this account, this Twitter account, just to be able to match their their workouts? So if we found that they tweeted hashtag Edamundo 35 times and they had 35 tweets, yep, that's what they did. So we could then say, you know, what percentage of a person's tweets were related to fitness? The, the structure of the tweets became very important. So it would say, I just... X and X could be the activity walked, ran, golfed, um, you know, worked out. And then Y was time 25 minutes over Z. Z would be the distance. So now we have the username, we have what activity they did, we have how long it took them, and we had the distance. Yeah, so, that's a lot of data actually, all of a sudden. Yeah, so at, at the so this is 2008. Uh, no, 2010, when, when we started the data collection. And Twitter back then was only 140 characters. Right. So, you know, from 140 characters, I'm building this this persona, this this profile of 256,000 people, which became there, – there's, there's more data in there that I knew what to do with. Uh, so what I did was I looked at Healthy People 2020. Now, this is the report that the federal government does every 10 years – and based on that, they they decide where they're going to spend money on physical activity. Okay. So they do the report, and I match my data up to their data. Now, their data is a person calling randomly someone across the country with a landline, okay, 
no cell phones, has to be a landline. Okay. And they say, hi, Spencer, I'm calling from um, the government. I'm doing, yep. (laughs) Well, that's one thing that happens. Or they say, hi, I'm calling, I'm doing a survey. Uh, Can you tell me how many minutes of physical activity you did last week? Now, Spencer, I I, I know you and and you don't want to embarrass yourself, so you're going to probably say some grandiose number, right? Which which means the data that the government's collecting is wrong. For sure. Or the person doesn't remember, right? So I wanted to show that there's a way to use technology. You know, the iPhone, right? The iPhone came out in 2007. So this is 2010. I'm saying the iPhone is a million times more powerful than the computer used to put the man on the moon. Why can't we use that for a person's health and fitness? And that became my driving force. And I was actually able to show that the numbers that Healthy People 2020 collected were most likely overestimated because you would look at the data I collected and you would you could tell when a person was, say, a marathon runner, right? So you could look over that three-month period. Sure, of course. And those that high level of, of exercise wasn't even coming close to Healthy People 2020. So – uh, what I ended up proving was that there is a an inexpensive way that you can track fitness measurements from around the world, and you get a lot more data than just the numbers. Yeah, and I think from hearing that, I, I think about where we are now and how that likely has evolved, right? It's for people using HealthKit on their mobile devices. Yep. Uh, they're using apps like Strava or the, a bunch of the other ones that you already mentioned, right, that are right. doing some sort of tracking. Um are you seeing, and maybe you haven't paid attention to it as closely as you used to, are people still actively pumping data like that out on Twitter? Or is that kind of slowed down because a lot of these apps and everything is just a little more internal? There's the other social platforms where people are sharing. Well, it, it's still happening. And the reason it's happening is because of a, a phenomenon I call a virtual high five. So, Spencer, if, if you and I hadn't known each other, but over Twitter you saw that it had a personal best of a run. And if you happen to send me a, a note saying congratulations on your personal best, we don't know each other, that that high five is as important as it would be if we were friends Yeah, totally. and face-to-face. So the, so the whole virtual um, motivational aspect really comes into play. Now, um, what what's happening, unfortunately, is we're, we're collecting all this data from, like you said, a weight scale, from a blood pressure cuff, from yeah. um, Under Armour spent – almost a billion dollars, I want to say about five years ago, and they purchased all these apps, right? So why is a corporation buying all this technology? Well, guess what? Under Armour knows how long a pair of their marathon shoes will last. Yep. They now are tracking their marathon runner, and when it comes to maybe 10 miles to go, guess what the user gets? They get a $10 coupon saying... So, and guess what? People are like, well, that's that's crazy. You can't, you shouldn't do that. We've been doing it for years. You go to the grocery yeah. store and you slide your card, they're doing the exact same thing. Yeah. So, uh, Kevin Plank, who's the CEO of, of um, Under Armour, says data is the new oil. Meaning, if you have the data, you have a lot of potential uh, opportunities there. Absolutely. So, so, getting back to what I was saying, we have all these all this data being collected. But the problem is that the data is in these data silos, right? Mm-hmm. So if you have Fitbit, Fitbit doesn't talk to Apple Health, which doesn't talk to Withings, which doesn't talk to whatever. 
we are finally seeing a conglomeration. So the, the, the data platforms, like you're saying, Apple Health now, right? So mm-hmm. you can import your data into Apple Health. It's pretty raw right now. But imagine when a personal trainer can sit back at a desk and virtually coach a person. I, I, I think the model of personal training has got to change because you're trading time for money. Yeah, let's talk about that for sure. Which means I can only do X number of sessions a day, right? So let, let's think about it. If you are a golf pro, a personal trainer, a health coach, you're doing hour appointments. Uh, if if you are super great at what you're doing, what say, Spencer, if, if you do eight one-hour appointments a day, you're, you're killing it, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, and you're also just flat-out exhausted. Exactly. Yeah. So there, there's a point where you can't do any more. But let's take a step back and look at Spotify. And I call it the Spotify model of personal training. What if rather than charging your client every time you met, you're charging on a subscription fee? Mm-hmm. And in that subscription fee, you say, we're going to meet face-to-face twice a month. <laughs> it sounds like verbatim what I've been coming out of my mouth. Yeah, keep going. <laughs> And it it can be on the golf course. It could be in the fitness center. It might be a Skype call. Yeah. But when you're not with me, I'm going to be tracking everything that you do. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be sending you updates to your workout on a weekly basis. Now, let's compare the two. You've got that and you've got the traditional model of personal training where you might see your client once or twice a week and you have no clue what they're doing the rest of the time they're not with you. Which is, which is a more powerful system? If your goal is to get a person along the path of better wellness and health, well, the one with technology. Oh, so yeah. it's, it's changing the marketplace. And I'm seeing people starting to do this now, and that's what I'm excited about. So in a lot of the, in the classes that I'm teaching now at the university, and I'm actually going to start teaching it to, to the general population that are interested, the, the opportunity to earn what I think – is 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 a great um, a great profession is now available. Well, we've been calling it for the last few years a subscription coaching model, right? Versus a lesson model, and mm-hmm. I think I think it's it's parallel no matter what industry you're in. A lesson is a a quick fix, a one time thing, or a very short time. Yep. Coaching, as we know, is more about long term development and programming. Um, and the reason why you want to be coaching for a lot there's many reasons, but one of them would be the business model attached to it because you're building retention into your model, right? You're assuming that this person's coming back, they're gonna mm-hmm. invest in that. And then if you're using technology to bridge the gap, right? Then like you said, you might have somebody actually on the hook for let's say 500 bucks a month. You see them only twice in person or virtually like we're doing now. And the rest of the time you're dripping on them as well as calibrating their efforts, right? And that is super duper scalable if that's your mindset. Uh, to have this kind of coaching and remote coaching aspect to your business. But if you are so stuck in the lesson side, one, you're just going to kind of keep chasing new clients all the time too. Yep. Whereas when you do this, it's building retention in your model. You're keeping people happy and you're giving them more realistic expectations too, especially in a technical sport like tennis or golf or baseball. They're not going to improve their technical aspect immediately. And so why is our business model built like that? You know what I mean? So most instructors charge by the hour. It's like, why are you charging by the hour if you know they're not going to get better in that hour? Right. 
right? Right. Yeah. And and you're the instructor, the health coach, the 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 golf instructor. You're providing more value to oh, a yeah. client, right? So, all right. Um, I've got a golf coach. I I pay him what two hundred bucks. Uh, hundred bucks. Let's say it's a hundred dollars a lesson. Yeah. And I see him. Um, once a week over a month. So I'm spending $400 a month, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but if I were to pay a subscription fee and say, okay, for $100 a month or $200 a month, I get that plus all these other benefits. Well, of course I'm going to do that. Of course. And I, as the the golf instructor, instead of that hour only being able to work with me, I might be able to work with 10 people. Yes. So 10 people at uh, $50 versus one person at $400, the, the math starts to make sense. Yeah. And that's where I'm excited about where we're going with this. Yeah, I, I am too. And I, I'm seeing a shift in it. It's something that we are heavily invested in pioneering in that way, providing – it doesn't because our platform doesn't necessarily work for every type of coach, especially a team coach or something like that. But anybody that's in the business of one-on-one or small group training and they're – looking to kind of deepen their relationships and build some leverage. Um, that's where our technology is quite helpful. So we're, we're really, really passionate about that because I, I personally didn't want to be the golf coach because that's my background uh, 30 years from now with the hamburger neck, as I would call it, like my yep. and a bunch of skin cancer, right? right? Because I'm just on the golf course all the time. And I think because of the prevalence of technologies like ours or even a bunch of other ways, like I, I know now if I were to get back into coaching, um, Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, all these things, would, it would be so great to just blow those up by just capturing real moments from your coaching sessions and sharing those versus yep. what we all used to do when YouTube was the only thing. You'd stand in front of a tripod, demonstrate an exercise or whatever, right. put it out there. And it's super boring and everybody can do it. Whereas if you can capture like, your, the essence of how you train and share that. Uh, it's just so ripe to build that niche. Um, so I, I guess as we get close to wrapping up, because this has gone really quick to, uh, this is, and we can definitely do another one of these, I hope. Sure. Um, I did want to dive into certifications, but I think I want to save that for another conversation because I feel like sure. that that's a, a really big topic uh, yes. that I'm passionate about. And I know you are as well. So, I think towards the end here, we've started talking about the business model thing. So I think there's maybe some tangible elements that coaches that are listening to this can kind of take away from. Right. So let's talk about more the day-to-day things that you're sharing with your students that would likely be applicable to anybody listening to this. They can maybe take a nugget to put something in action. And then let's also make sure at the very end here that we uh, let everybody know how they can get in contact with you whether that's just via LinkedIn to ask a question or if there's other programs or other things that you want to tap people into. Sure. Absolutely. Um, the, there's a tremendous opportunity now for personal trainers, health coaches, golf instructors, whatever, whatever you want to uh, consider yourself to use technology to help run a business, to help start a business. Let's go back to one of the first things I said. It's not the golf instructor's fault that they don't know how to start a business. They they spent their time on the golf course, like you were saying. They were they were learning their trade. So now what I'm doing is I'm helping these types of people um, by showing them the ways to do it. 
the first thing that, that I do is I do what's called a one-page business plan. You and I have probably done the traditional business plan, which is 100 pages, right? Sure. How many times did you look at it when you were done? Never. Oh, I, yeah. And I, I remember when we finally raised, started raising money because you read the book, do the 100-page thing, and then you raise money. The VC's like, I only got time for one page, dude. Yep. Get it on one page. So uh, there, there's a – it's called Lean Startup, and yep. there are nine components to the business plan, and it's called the one-page business plan. So I'm teaching that part in my classes. I'm wow. going to start teaching it to, to entrepreneurs. Okay. And this – I call it a living document, right? So that big business plan that, that you and I have created, we oh, never looked so at. It's so unwieldy. You can't edit it. Right. Yeah. So now with a one-page – uh, this is so great because even if you if you want to start a new product, let's say you want to um, you want to include online coaching to your to your portfolio. Well, you could do a one page business plan just on that. So it's sure. not just your business; it could be any entity that you want to do. Yep. So uh, I, I'm teaching that. I'm teaching how to create an online brand. Um, you know, I, I'm one of my pet peeves is I get an, I get an email from a personal trainer. And their email address is bigbiceps25 at gmail.com or, <laughs> or juicytushy25 at aol.com. Uh, guess what, folks? We're professionals. Yep. And what do you think your client's seeing when they see Juicy Tushy or Big Biceps? Um, so I, I, it's, it can be an investment of $25 to get a website to yeah. build a very basic page and to have professional-looking emails. So I help, I help do that. Um, we talk about the personal brand. We talk about the, you talked about sales funnels a little earlier, yeah. you know, the drip campaigns. I show them how to do that. And, and this is what I teach in my master's level classes, but I see that there's an opportunity, you know, people can't afford that master's level class. So yeah. I'm, I'm taking this forward. Uh, we're, we're doing what's called the, my fitness business summit, my fitness business summit.com okay. where I'm bringing together 15 of my closest, uh, friends and, and colleagues, where we're going to talk about these things. We're going to talk about something that, that really is important is, do you have enough money to start a company? Do you have the insurance that you need to be a coach? Yeah. Uh, what platform are you going to use? What I have a copywriter coming on saying, here's what you need to write about to, to get your clients excited about what you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, I'm teaching a, a class on the one-page business plan. Uh, and that's it's free, by the way. So myfitnessbusinesssummit.com, it's free. And then if you want to go a little bit deeper, you want to take a course with me on just the one-page business plan, that's going to be coming out in 2020. And um, it's going to provide a great vehicle, a great opportunity for anyone that wants to learn how to do this. Um, I'm not going to be – like one of those people you see online saying, take my system and I guarantee you're going to get a right. million dollars because yeah, guess right. what? Yeah. <laughs> they can't do it. Uh, well, they make so money by telling people to make money online. So that's, it's just cyclical yeah. that way. It's, it's a weird of loop. Course. Yeah. You know, it, it would be like a golf pro Spencer saying, uh, come with me. I'll teach you how to hit a hole in one. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Or, you know, a personal trainer saying, come work with me and I guarantee you're going to lose 50 pounds. It's not going to happen. So, if a person wants to, to make that commitment to learn the, the tools that they can use to then start a company, to grow a company, we, we have that opportunity. So um, that's, that's really one of the first things that I would suggest. And we, we talked about certifications a little bit. Um, one of the things I'm seeing in the industry is that if you look at these certification organizations and the continuing education available options, 
a lot of them are still on the science and the yeah, yeah. they're still on the on the technical side they're not teaching people how to productize their knowledge whatsoever until now yeah. until you and i until you and i get together and, and yeah. create these things so that's something that, that hopefully will come out in 2020 as well uh, continue education opportunities as, as a personal trainer or health coach you've got to go through 20 hours of continuing education over cool. two years yeah and you know you can take we're going to get these courses uh, approved you can actually take the courses and then you can send them in and petition for for um, credit hours for it Love so it. you know um, a lot of trainers I think have gone to the big box gyms they've worked there they want to go off on their own they don't know how well we're going to give you a path on how to do that and I it's not for everybody but let's put that right out there right sure. Spencer entrepreneurship's not for everybody no. but if you want if you want to try it we're going to figure out a way to help you do it well and I, th I think as we wrap up too it, it's definitely not for everybody but there's always going to be elements that can help you stand out within your let's say you're working in a big box gym, it's going to help you sure. stand out from those others without all the risk associated sure. potentially, right? That's actually what we call entrepreneurship. So it's yeah. taking the entrepreneurship mindset, but doing it inside a corporation. Yeah. So I, I think there's a ton of opportunities and it always goes without saying to you, Ted, whatever you need from me, I want to help. This is like my biggest passion. Because uh, I'll, I'll share a quick story as we wrap. The, the reason why the technology exists today, it was once upon a time Edufy, now it's Coach Now. The only reason it exists is because I'd have conversations like this with other golf professionals. They came to me and were going, well, how, you know, you're 25. How do you have this business? How do I do this? Blah, 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 right? They're asking all these questions. I would tell them all the things to do. None of them were scalable right? because uh, no one was willing to work that hard. So then I thought, okay, if I'm giving you all this advice and you're not going to be able to implement it, well, then I need to build a technology that will allow you to take the advice and implement it without all the heavy lifting that I've been doing. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why we are where we are today because of that. Um, so I know with your technology background and, and everything that you're pushing uh, and all the available technology now for online learning, whether it's us or Kajabi or anything, there's all sorts of stuff that we can share. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah. And, and you know, to, to, to close up, I, I think there's enough business for everybody out there. Totally. And there is there there needs to be this concerted effort to help people learn how to do it. Yeah. There, there there are um future entrepreneurs that are going to be listening to this saying, "Yeah, I want to do it, but I'm always been, I've been afraid to do it." So my hope is that through this conversation that there are some people out there saying I'm a little bit closer to being able to make that that decision of going off on your own. And uh, I, Spencer, I I know you share in my thought process of this is uh you said you'd help. I'll help any entrepreneur that wants to do that because this is my way of giving back to an industry that's taking care of me. Absolutely. And, and my last little plug for anybody listening to this too, uh, we'll put all the, the links that Ted's mentioned in the show notes. And there's one other thing that I just kicked off a couple of days ago. It's a LinkedIn group called The Business of Coaching. It's presented by Coach Now. We just kind of did it that way so it's easier to find. It's not a Coach Now pitch whatsoever. It's just a way to organize ourselves around these topics. And when I say coaching, training, teaching, instruction, it doesn't mean anybody that's in the service business of helping others learn something is really what we're trying to do and try to help. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of this stuff will end up in that environment. And Ted, that'll be a great place for you to chime in every once in a while as you see fit um, to kind of share some of your information as well with the group. Um, but with that, Ted, stoked, man. Thank you so much for, for doing this and taking the time out of your busy schedule. And I appreciate it. Look forward to doing this again. 
Thanks. Appreciate it. Look forward to getting you on the golf course. All right. Thanks, Ted. See you, man. Bye. Hey there, Spencer here again with a quick reminder. If you like what you heard, please don't forget to review, share, and subscribe. It's our goal to make as big an impact on the coaching world as we can, and your support helps us do that in a big way. So again, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time.